0: Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Amen, amen. Listen, I'm 40. 40 today. I can't wait till I get 48 like Margot, so I can be 40 great. But I'm 40. As of today, I'm 40. You know, throw them folds up. Not today, not, y'all don't know your pastor anymore. birthday is, it's October. I'm October, baby, y'all. Shoot. Anyway, one of the things I was just trying to say that what, what is so disparaging about this year, even being 40, is that I thought, you know, you reach a certain level, you stop learning things, right? Adulting becomes a little easier, but even at 40, it's just more complicated. And I'm, I feel like I just graduated college. It's like, I still don't know the stuff. I thought my mom and them knew all that stuff. You know, you realize, you know, as you become an adult, just how many things your parents made look so simple just happening behind the scenes. They just going and then you like, oh, okay. Oh, so that's what they was doing. Oh, I get it. And I still don't get it. And you know, one of the things about adulting is just Like just solving simple things, you know what I mean? It's just like, hey man, I need a new this and I need a new that and we need to do this and do that. And then just learning that how complicated those things are. And then as you do those things, you learn that not only are the things complicated themselves, but sometimes you still got to deal with complicated people who make the things even more complicated. It's like, hey brother, you know what I'm saying? I just need to get a school uniform for my child. Okay. Well, we don't sell that here. Okay. Well, who sell it? Well, you know, Bob them sell it down the street. You can't get it from Walmart or Target because, you know, it got to be there. Okay. I go over there. Well, yeah, we do sell it, but it's got to be a special approval by the school. Okay. Well, who get a special approval? Oh, you got to go over here and you got to get- it's like, man, come on, man, somebody. Y'all just seem to be making this more complicated. And you don't look like you're trying to help me find a solution. You just look like you are glorying in my misery." (laughs) And I think as we kind of just try to put ourselves in the place of Nicodemus, you know, this is a very familiar and famous passage, right? We've all heard of this, even as young school children and in our vacation Bible schools and Sunday school class, we've heard this story, right? Um, and, And I think we do. Uh, that most people have been fair to capture a humble man who comes at the dark of night and tries to understand what this rabbi is to classify him. Where are you? Who are you? I, I can tell you're more than a teacher, but the people who do these things can only do that if God is with them. And so who are you, bro? And why are you telling me about things being born again? I don't understand that. And what is that? Why are you starting to tell me you moved from being born again? And I'm trying to figure out how a 55-year-old man can go back in his mama womb. That don't make sense to me. And then you switch it up on me, and now you're talking about trees and wind blowing. I'm like, what are you doing, Jesus? You're making it more complicated for me, Jesus. I want y'all to feel that today, that as we arrive at this latter part of, of the first 15 verses of John that happened before the most, probably the most famous verse um, in John 3, 4, God so loved the world that he only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him shall. But, yeah, okay, okay, y'all learned one thing in Sunday school. We're going to write a letter back to your home church and say, y'all did one thing right. Amen. But as we sit in this passage, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel that today. That man, Jesus, look, listen at me. He's never taking it off of the top shelf and putting it on the bottom. You know, one of the things is, is uh, you learn as, as a preacher... In our homiletics class and things like that like we go through just stages of sermon crafting and development and the first thing we do um, after we pray or whatever is we really have to exegete this passage right we're just trying to we just need to understand what it means first for its original audience and then secondarily uh, for us today but what is it actually saying who wrote it who's the audience and why and who all the the special Greeks and tenses and all those things so we're exegeting it right um, but the best preachers they don't just tell you what is being said because you could just read it in a commentary. Y'all do understand, right? That's the difference between preaching and learning. You know, I'm persuading you towards some kind of end when I stand before you. Because otherwise, if you just need to learn the information, go listen to a podcast or go read it in a commentary. It'll tell you what happened. I'm doing more than telling you what happened. I'm trying to tell you why it's important for us now. And one of the ways I got to do that is sometimes you got to take high-level concepts in theology and you got to take it off the top shelf and put it on the bottom shelf so you can grab that thing. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying. So basically what you're saying, Pastor Tim, is blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yes, Jesus is not doing that right now. And that's what makes this really frustrating is he's not making this any easier for Nicodemus to get. Nicodemus keeps coming with clarifying statements like, "Oh, so you really mean and Jesus is like, "Nope." <laughs> Man, we are doing and listen, I think the worst kind of parenting tutoring, first of all, was during COVID. <laughs> that was awful. I tap out like third grade, you know what I'm saying? When we stop doing rectangles, octagons, and squares and stuff, that's when your boy, I'm out, you know what I'm saying? But Noah was at home during sixth grade, seventh grade, and we started getting into parameciums and parasites. And, oh, okay, that's I am, my mom. You better holler at your mama. I ain't got it. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got it, right? Um, but, but, but the frustration of trying to get your hands around something this is what Nicodemus is feeling. It's like, man, I just want to kind of get my hands around it, but he's not being able to, and Jesus is not assisting him in that. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 9. Nicodemus, how can this be, right? How can this be, this, this concept of being born again, this, this idea of the spirit, and we not knowing where it comes from, we just kind of feel its effects, right? What are, where, where are we? And so just to catch y'all up, Just a couple important concepts before we just dive straight all the way into it. Um, It's just, this is a series on faith. We'll spend about three more weeks inside of it. But the first thing we tried to establish um, when we were talking about Thomas is that faith in Jesus leads to blessing or faith in Jesus leads to the blessed life. And that faith is a fundamental duty for all people and the necessary response to God's self-revelation it's essential. God reveals himself. What do we do? Thomas sees the holes in his hands. He sees the wounds in his sides. What's he do? He doesn't come with another question. The questions end. He says, my Lord, my God, faith now. Right? So it's the necessary response to God's self-revelation. The only channel. Everybody say only. The only channel through which God's blessings may be received and the only means by which life may be made meaningful in relationship with God. You have got to connect your faith to what he has for you. Absent of that, we can't get what he has into you. You got to connect that thing through faith. And we learn that um, with Thomas' story, right? And, and, and really just how it is affirmed both through Thomas and through Jesus. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. Jesus says, I know you can't believe unless you truly have a sufficient experience with me so that you can place your faith in me. That's why I showed up in this house. So let me just pause for a second. What does that mean? That means that if you are ever to genuinely have faith in Jesus, he will provide a sufficient enough experience for you to drop your anchor. He will come through the walls of your life that you think are locked and provide you a sufficient enough experience for you to legitimately place your faith in him. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? is not going to say, put your faith in me and not demonstrate to you that he is worth placing your faith in. Every one of us have a sufficient enough experience with him to place our faith in him. Then we moved over to Nicodemus and we started to unpack just a little bit about what, what this life of faith looks like. And we just, we preached last week about a faith that feels that the life of faith, which is totally spiritual, is not learned, but it's felt and evidenced by its effects. It's like, man, we don't know where it begins, where it is. All we know is we act, we believe something, we act. The order, salute us, if y'all are big, kind of reformed in your soteriology, then you, this would be, this would not be uh, new to you. It wouldn't just catch you by guard. that something has to happen on the inside to cause you to step out on faith, right? We don't know when it happens. All of a sudden we know is, look, we was at the, "Hey, hey, hey, we was at that club doing it, and then all of a sudden we wasn't doing it no more. That wasn't maturity! That wasn't because the girls looked uglier and the dudes were less handsome. That wasn't because the music got all of a sudden not cooler. Something happened. Can I get a witness, somebody? I can't tell you what happened. All I know is something happened. Ooh, I wish I had a witness in here. Lights and walls. Anybody's just glad something happened to me. Woo. Anybody, can I just get a praise real quick? Just, I just want to know I'm not alone. Son, I can't tell you the date. I don't actually know when the hour happened. All I can tell you is something happened to me, and I'm different than what I used to be. Come on, man. I'm different than what I used to be, and I can't quite put my finger on it. All of a sudden, I walked in the house, and my parents like, what kind of kid is this who's walking in my house now? Because that wasn't the one I sent out the door. Come on, man. I know I'm in there. So here we are today with a perplexed Nicodemus trying to wrestle with this idea of faith because it's blowing his mind. He's still perplexed. I don't think he's just confused. I think he's now frustrated now because you know that happens. Just it's, You never grow out of it, right? You know, when we're playing with our babies and they got that little ugly, little circular thing and it's got the square hole and they're trying to put the squares and triangles in there. And what does your baby do? I'm looking at Sam's husband because I know he know what I'm talking about, right? All of a sudden, Sam said, ba- baby Luke, took the, he took the square. He was trying to put it in the triangle and then he threw it and hit Sam in the nose, bust his nose. Is that what, is that, that's what we do right when we can't we can't get our hands around it it's frustrating now right I think Nicodemus is not just confused I think he's a little frustrated now I think he's frustrated now. He's like, Jesus, listen, I'm a learned man. I'm an intelligent man. I'm a scholar in your word. I rule over your people. I'm an instructor of the Old Testament manuscripts. And now you're just being irrational and real unreasonable. You're not working with me, Jesus. I think he's frustrated. But Jesus has led him to this place. And this is one of Jesus's go-to tactics, right? Jesus loves to bring you into the deep waters. He loves to drag you into them perplexing situations and places. How you know? Man John 6, y'all remember this? The whole discourse was about Jesus saying I'm the bread of life. And everybody's now like, "Wait, what? Huh? This man said we got to eat his flesh?" And what did people do? They were, they literally, all the audience were like, man, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And even the disciples, their conclusion was, man, that's a hard thing Jesus was saying. And then they asked the money question, who can believe this? (laughs) Jesus, this is absolutely absurd. Who could believe it? Jesus drags us to these perplexing situations, and he he does it. Why? To just make it clear that the gap between what you are talking about and what I'm talking about is God-sized. It's a big gulf, and the only way you can cross it is by faith. I'm not interested in actually bringing clarity. I'm interested in actually making it even further for you so you know that, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to get to that side on my own. I can't swim to it. I can't walk to it. I'll never be able to figure it out. Jesus, is he's confounding Nicodemus even more. So Nicodemus knows that there's no way I can get to point B. He's making it clear. He said, you are Israel's teacher, verse 10, and you don't understand these things. This is the second time he kind of rebukes him. Remember in verse 7, he says, don't marvel when I say that you must be born again. So now he's continuing to drive home that, hey, man, you're one of Israel's teachers, and you don't understand these things? And you would have to go back last week for us to unpack all these aspects. Remember, God says, you need to be born again. Jesus said, you need to be born again. He unpacks it a level further. He says, you need to be born of both water and spirit. Now, I would, honestly, I will stand before you and tell you, some people believe the water is natural, flesh. There's other commentators on the other side who believe that the water represents together, collectively with being born with the water and the spirit of the new birth. I'm on that side, right? Doesn't really matter. I don't think it's a big tension, but the idea I think everybody understands is, new life has got to come as evidence of being born again. And Jesus is saying, this is is not even like a matter that I have not disclosed to you. This has been all over the Scriptures. In Deuteronomy 30 and 6, he says that he even foreshadows, I'm going to circumcise a heart. I'm going to start doing new things inside of the heart of people that will allow them to follow me. Jeremiah 31, It's really, y'all don't, under, may, may or may not understand it, that is such an impactful verse for us, Jeremiah 31, It's really the moment where this new covenant is promised, that we were doing it one way, but now what I'm going to do is I'm not going to just get grumpy because my people are not following me. I'm going to write my laws on their heart so that they can follow me. When I come here and we stand at the table and say, this represents the new covenant in my blood. That is actually a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31 and 33. Ezekiel 36 and 37, this idea, this business about, hey, I'm going to clean you up with water, right? I'm going to sprinkle you and make you clean. I'm going to take out the heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to place my spirit in you. Y'all, that's just four references that some little black dude in 2023 just picked up. If you were an Old Testament scholar, you should have known that a new heart was coming. So a concept about you being born again shouldn't be new to you, Nicodemus. I told you I was going to do a new thing in my people. Verse 11, very, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we do not know. This is kind of a pun here because Nicodemus, in verse 2, he was like, man, you know, we understand some things, and Jesus comes back and says, now we understand some things. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still you people, plural, do not accept our testimony. Shout out to the Trinity. I think that's... Clearly Trinitarian language there. In John 3 and 32, this whole idea about testimony says, Jesus, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. So later on in 32, Jesus says it clearly that there's one who comes from above, and he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Let's just pause for a second. And I just want to focus really quick on these stages of belief because I think we see them really evident here in Nicodemus. This is from an essay on TGC's website. But the church's historic understanding of saving faith contains three elements. Everybody say three elements. The facts, which is notitia; comprehension of those facts, which we call a census, and trust in those facts, which is called fiducia. You have to have the facts. You have to kind of get your head around those facts, comprehend them, and then you have to trust in those facts. And there's all kind of different levels. And what we see from Nicodemus is like, he's trying to move through these stages, right? And Jesus is trying to take them through these stages and we'll see him later. Like you have to understand what's being said to you. You don't just believe in Jesus just because you say you believe in Jesus, you actually have to understand what he's claiming. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, what's he claiming? To, to, to allow me to go to every Lizzo conference, concert in the whole world. Okay, we would say, my brother, you are mistaken. You do not believe in Jesus because that's not what he claims. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to understand what he claims in order to truly put your faith in him, right? I want to take it a step further. I think I would affirm the church's historic position, and I would just kind of posit it to you a little bit differently. Maybe I'm combining one and two, and I'm adding a third step. I think you have to understand the claims. I think you have to believe them to be true. I think you actually have to live out of that truth. You have to actually act on it. You know, you know, we got a whole lot of people who say they believe things, but don't, their actions validate that they don't actually believe those things. You know what I'm saying? I'm an honest man. You, bro, you lie all the time. So there's things you believe, but you, there's a disconnect between your convictions and how you live them out. You know what I'm saying? So what I would ask you today As you are wrestling, as we are coming back to the table, all of us, all of us, I wish you could have heard my prayer that I had Matt pray over me uh, today because I'm back in this place of wrestling. I'm back in the place of wrestling. Do I understand what Jesus is saying to Tim Johnson right now in 2023? Do I believe it and am I living out of it? Or am I living out of fear? Am I in an orphan state or am I living as a son in a joint heir with Christ? This is an ongoing thing. This ain't just for salvation. So let's move on. Let's talk about earthly things and heavenly things. He says, I've spoken to you about earthly things and you do not believe them. How then will you believe if I speak about heavenly things? Once again, Nicodemus, teacher, I've given you these earthly things through the prophets, through the Torah, through all these means, right, I've told you that a new birth was coming to God's people. You didn't believe it, but it was clearly there. I didn't hide that. It was clearly there. If I gave this to you in the earthly format and you didn't believe, how could I start telling you about heavenly things and you're going to believe that? Because you won't have the benefit. Once again, it kind of reminds me of Thomas sanity. I'll believe it if I see it. That's heretical. Do you understand that? That ain't how it works. You don't come to Jesus and say, I'm going to believe it if I see it. That's not faith. It's not faith. Everybody would—that's why Vegas makes so much money, because they get people to start throwing that money around who ain't never seen the outcome. How much of us would be millionaires if we actually knew that the Grizz was going to win the NBA championship? That'd be easy, right? We're going to put $1,000 on the grids to win the NBA championship that they already won. It don't work like that. When you take your nickels and your dollars, you say, hey, here go go little Johnny's Chick-fil-A money. And I don't know, but I'm hoping. That's faith. We are all betting on a victory that we believe has happened, but we have not seen it yet. Do you realize that? If you are in this room and if you are truly a part of God's invisible church, you are not gambling on things that you have seen. You are assured of things that I'm hoping for, but I'm confident they are happening. That's faith, man. And that is the single most difficult thing you will ever do in your whole life. We have tried to make this thing so simple for people, and then once they get inside, they're frustrated because they're like, man, why are the things working? It's because we as the gatekeepers, we gave them some false step. We started, instead of doing like Jesus and making it and letting it be, like is it really that hard? It's hard. But you know what we do? Is it really that — no, it's not that hard, you don't — it's not — nope, it's just really simple and life of Jesus is really easy. All you got to do, we got to stop it, y'all, we just got to stop it. Just let it be what it is, man. But when you let it be what it is, you you wait, you will watch people live long enough, and you will see how — how joyful their life in Jesus is, because we gave them the cost up front. And when they're in there, they're like, man, but I'm honored to give my life for the King. And I trust what he's doing with my life. I settled that a long time ago. And I keep having a couple dust-ups here and there, but I know where I'm at. I know what I committed to. How many of y'all get down the road and you have to remind yourself, you get a little shaky. Sometimes it get a little hard out there. Can I get a witness somebody? But I know what I committed to. I counted that cost. And I know it's a tough week of marriage. I know it's a tough month. I know it's a tough... You don't have to ask me if I'm committed. I settled that along 17 years ago. To ask me if I'm committed to following you, Jesus. I'm, I'm gonna cry. Let me cry, cause it's hard. Because this is hard, and I don't understand what you're doing, so give me a minute, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but let it be no doubt. When I get up off my knees, I'm running still. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm fully convinced that he is able to guard. Woo, I wish I can get a witness with somebody. I know Paul was sitting on Patmos and wherever he was and shipwrecked and all this, and he had to have these conversations with himself and go back. Man, this is hard, but I know what I signed up for, and I know who I gave my life to. And I'm sorry, devil. These trials, they don't make me coward. They actually just embolden me. They just make me a little stronger. Anybody feel your faith getting stronger? Is James 1 doing exactly what it said it would do? that if you were counting all the joy when the trials and tribulations come, that it was actually, you got, it's perfecting me. I'm getting a little stronger. I'm a little more patient than I was in 2020. I'm a little more joyful than I was in 2018. It take a little longer to put me under. I can feel it doing what it said it was going to do. He says, I've spoken to you about these earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you about heavenly things? Y'all, it's just a difference. Now, I know this is postmodern generation. We don't think, we don't ever, I don't ever hear y'all talk about this scripture. It's just a difference. <laughs> me and Lily Ireland, she met me when I came up the steps. And I think she said, hola, and usually Margot does this to me. It's not even fun no more. Cause then Margot starts going into stuff I don't understand. <laughs> and then I just look at her and like... So Lily said, hola. I said, como te amo." Which was right, right? That was right. No? no. <laughs> well then, Lily... Lily said, she said, I said, what did I just say? She's like, <laughs> <laughs> we tried, you know, speaking in unknown languages. We, we, well, this is another thing we try to dumb down, but it just is what it is. There are heavenly things and there are earthly things. Jesus tried to set that tone for Nicodemus earlier. He said, listen, man, human beings give birth to human beings, but only the Spirit can give birth to Spirit people. And there will forever be a divide, not in inherent dignity, value, and worth. The Spirit people never have a right to look on those who are not yet Spirit people and look down on them. You never have a right to do that. But we all need to understand, bro, we speak in Spanish over here, and you just can't— I could try, but this is different. Have you made peace with that yet? That there is a heavenly thing that God is doing that you have to be in the realm of the spirit to be able to understand and discern. I was listening to Tony Evans this week and he was preaching out of James 1. And he was just, I mean, this was one or two. He was being quick to listen, slow to speak. And he says, on being quick to listen, he said, this is not about pulling up to human wisdom. This is not about you sitting before people who you think are smarter than you and say, hey man, tell me what to do. He said, being quick to listen is being zealous to get God's point of view on a matter. He says, and I quote, you got to be quick to appeal to heaven when you are facing the calamities of earth. Some of y'all, hadn't quite grasped this concept yet, of the benefits that you have because you are born again, that you have access to information that the earth cannot produce. I know that seems hard for you because everything you do is a DIY that you can solve from a podcast or YouTube or some blog or whatever or your degrees. I know that's a tough place for you to to actually believe that what you most need is not earthly wisdom, but I need to get on my knees and I need a word from the Lord. I'm begging for some of y'all to labor in prayer. Just stay there until God gives you a peace on something. Stay there until you hear a word. Keep journaling until you can feel God's inspired spirit riding through you. Stay there, y'all. Yes, yes. That's what we have that the rest of mankind does not have access to. Oh, what needs we often that. Oh, what needless pains we bear. Why? Because we actually don't believe in prayer. We don't actually believe in a heavenly realm. We believe that all of our solutions are in the earth. Nicodemus, you're talking about earthly stuff. And I gave you earthly things, and you still couldn't wrap your hand around the earthly things. How could I give you heavenly stuff, bro? Some of y'all are right in that space. You haven't yet dropped your anchor on the things you can understand. God's like, but I want to give you so much more than that. Hebrews 6, desire. 1 Corinthians 3, more, more milk, heartier your food. I want to grow. How do I grow? By believing in the little that you do know. Let's talk about sons and snakes to close. (laughs) That'd be it. Thea. write that down. Sons and snakes. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be good right there. That's going to be good. That's going to be real. Tension, 2024. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. This is almost a direct quote of Proverbs 30 and 4, but Proverbs 30 puts it in a question form. Who has ascended, or basically who has entered into the heavenly realm? And, hey, y'all, the answer is no one, right? No one. Who's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven? No one except the one, the Son of Man. Right? He's the only one who has been in heaven, remained in heaven, abided in heaven, stayed in heaven, so that he is qualified to preach to us, to bring to us the heavenly things. Nobody but Jesus. In verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is the first of three times that John is going to use that phrase, lifted up. And all of them kind of foreshadow the lifting up of the Son of Man. And, it, and it's a kind of a little bit of a double entendre, right? It's got a double meaning. James is both referring to Jesus being physically raised up, and he's also referring to Christ's exaltation. Acts 5 and 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Unless the Son of Man be lifted up, right, there is no hope for us. Isaiah 52 and 13, in the Messianic foreshadowings and packages, Isaiah says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be, what? High and lifted up and shall be exalted. I love that. Upwards I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. When you see that phraseology and when you see that imagery about looking up, you need to know that, that that physical act is not by happenstance; that that is on purpose; that that looking up is a fulfillment of scripture, and it comes specifically from this idea in Numbers twenty-one and nine. Everybody say it was snakes in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Mm. Numbers twenty-one nine. That's a fun passage for you just to read. It's really short. We didn't realize how impactful it was. Essentially, what has happened is that the people, children of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're now grumbling because they don't have the stuff they think they should have. They don't have the food and the access that they think they should have. They're doubting whether or not God loves them. They're doubting whether or not they're actually going anywhere. They're doubting whether or not they're going to be provided for. I don't know if that's just the children of Israel or that's us. How many of y'all got some doubts? It's hard out here in these streets. But their doubt has led to grumbling. So now they're grumbling against Yahweh. And so what does Yahweh do? Yahweh sends snakes. Yahweh sends the snakes. And so what's happening is these are venomous, poisonous snakes, and they are literally biting God's people and they're dying. And the only way you could be saved, as God told Moses, "Make a snake, lift it up. And the only way you could be saved from those mortal uh, fatal bites is by looking to the snake on the pole. Jesus is foreshadowing. He's bringing gravity and reality to the whole picture. Is that God's people are still suffering? And the evil one is still biting at them. Maybe that's a little Genesis 3. He's still biting those heels in me. He? But someone is coming who, when he is lifted up, literally, if you just look to him. Faith is so simple, but it is so hard. It is completely simple. We talked about it last week, the thief on the cross. Bruh, I'm dying, you dying, but I believe you right. That's all I know. We just going to keep it simple. Everything you said you could do, I believe it. Will you take me into your kingdom? People, you are literally, you can have a choice. You could try to figure out how you can hopscotch, crip walk, and avoid these snakes in the ground, or you could just look to me. You can make a choice, 21st century Christian. You could figure out whether or not you need to figure out how you gonna make things happen in your life and what you gonna live out of your meaning or you could just look to the Savior. One of the things that I whispered in Matt's ear is this, my fight is not for answers. My fight is not for solutions. I'm fighting to keep my eyes on Him. Peter, you can get off that boat and you can start figuring out in split seconds physics and vortexes and how you are going to keep your literal 200-pound body from going in the waves, or you can get your eyes on me. Some of y'all have exhausted yourself trying to figure out how to do life when Jesus is just saying, get your eyes on me. Let me take care of that. Just get your eyes on me." What you gonna choose today? You're incapable of figuring it all out. You don't have the answers. It is above you, but you are not without recourse. You can choose to get your eyes on the sun and live. Anybody want to live? I just want to live. And it's only by looking to Jesus, the man who comes from heaven, to speak to us heavenly things that we can be saved or we can experience fullness in this life. I'm not just waiting on the new Jerusalem to experience the new life that he said he provided for me. I'm going to have me some of that now, right now. I'm going to have me some peace. I don't have to have a new car. I don't have to have a new home. I'm going to take my joy though. You can throw me in any other situations, but I'm going to live out of the acceptance that I'm forgiven and I'm not going to let my past haunt me. I'm not going to have that. Did you know all of that led up to For God So Loved the World? One commentator on that just says this, the purpose of giving his son was to make God's great gift of eternal life. Remember that eternal life. Jews would have thought that's at the eschaton. That's when it's all over. Jesus is like, no, the kingdom's here now. You can have new life now. Eternal life is available to anyone. Everybody say anyone. Anyone. Whoever believes in him, that is whoever, whoever personally trusts in him, And he says, not perish means not perish in eternal judgment in contrast to having eternal life now, the life of abundant joy and a measurable blessing in the presence of God forever. Those who believe in Christ have that eternal life and already experience his blessing in this present time, not yet fully, but in some significant measure. Do y'all believe that? Are you always just trying to manage your abundant life down? you already coming to Jesus with how much he wants you to have life full. Oh, yeah, I know he ain't going to do that. I know he can't do that. I know he, he, well, he'll do that for some people. He won't do it for me. You need to confess that today. God, I, have, I confess that I, at times I don't believe you're a good, good father. I don't believe you could do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I ask or think. I think that was for some people and not for me. I confess that. God, I want to stop putting limits on what you can do in me and through me. I'm full of Matt can Just tell how special he is in my life. One of the things is I was kind of kicking it to him about faith and where my heart is and why we're even preaching through this and just a big conundrum because I know I know I am putting you in a perplexing position. I know that all the sweet churches you done came from, not intentionally, have just left you probably in a place of a manageable, cogent, neat little Christian framework that you can live your life in without getting it too messy. I know that. And I know that everything I'm saying to you is probably busting all the walls down and stretching you. And you're like, what in the world is this dude telling me to do? I know that. And I'm not coming to you out of superiority or pride. Like I got all this figured out. I'm just coming to you like, I don't know what else to tell you because I actually believe that this is true. This is the only way. Faith is the only way. It's the only way we get access to God. And even if we got to figure out what that means for the rest of our life, wouldn't you rather do that than live a lie? Wouldn't you rather Jesus meet you in the dark of night than leave you, Nicodemus, in, the, in cloud? Wouldn't you rather be confused than just be ignorantly living a certain kind of way? We told you the first week, Nicodemus pulls up. Scripture records him at the cross with Jesus. He is counted amongst the number. And I want to tell you, confusion and frustration come right before the breakthrough. Yeah. I know this is hard, but I think it's supposed to be. One of the things Matt said is like, man… It's difficult, and we can't make ourselves faith. You can't just I'm gonna have more faith. And I think specifically, he used this. uh, uh, Somebody he told me about was telling him about sleep. It's like, hey man, you don't just go in the room and say go to sleep, but you create the environment and and space for that you can rest. You cut the lights off, you cut the TV off, and you lay down. I took it a step for further. I don't think we could force faith and life in the Spirit, but I do think we can shut it off. You could say, you know what, I don't care about sleep, I'm going to leave the lights on, I'm going to keep eating, I'm going to drink caffeine right before I — you could do that, you could do things that block it. And I'm just saying for you, where you are in your life, just keep it open. And allow God to do his thing. I'm asking you to close your eyes real quick. Just ask that maybe you would just begin by confessing where you have lacked faith. Forgive us, Lord. We've doubted your power. We've doubted how much you love us. We've doubted that you desire good things for us. We oftentimes revert back to our own ways of functionally saving ourselves or even thinking that our good behavior or our right thinking, or our hard work and service, how much we love people, that will earn your favor and get us into heaven. Confess these things. Affirmations that I believe some of y'all need to just take a picture real quick. I think the road to the kingdom and the road to fuller life in God's kingdom begins with just being able to affirm these things. Let's read them together. I believe faith is the only way to the blessed life I believe faith is the only way we have access to Jesus' atoning work. I want to live by faith I want to grow in it is that you today do you want to live by faith do you want to grow in it just close your eyes where you are.